this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Thanks for joining us today for TED Speaks with your host, Ted Carew, the positive safety coach. As co-host and Ted's wife, I have the added task of keeping Ted in line and laughing at his jokes, which isn't always easy. My name is Barb Carew. We are coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers, Miller Beer, and the Fonz. How could it get any better than that? Our podcast focuses on sharing ideas with business owners and safety professionals to keep employees safe and families together. Our passion for keeping people safe is the reason Total Health and Safety Solutions was created. This is how Ted is able to share his 25 years of safety experience by supporting companies around the globe in their efforts to strengthen their health and safety process. Please join us in welcoming James Junkin. James is the Chief Executive Officer of Mariner Gulf Consulting and Services, LLC, a boutique risk management and occupational safety and health consulting firm headquartered in Louisiana with clients throughout the United States and abroad. He holds the designations of Certified Safety Professional, Safety Management Specialist, and Associate Safety Professional from the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. James has also been designated as a Master Safety Professional from the National Association of Safety Professionals and a Certified Safety and Health Official from the University of Texas at Arlington's OSHA Education Center. James and his firm specialize in safety regulations, best practices, management systems, and EHS program development and implementation. He and the Mariner Gulf Consulting and Service provide expert opinions for legal actions, technical writing for company-specific written policies and procedures, training, accident investigations, and site safety consultations. James is a noted author with articles appearing in trade and peer-reviewed publications such as Professional Safety Journal and a much-sought-after master training for Veriforce, having taught over 40,000 students and trained over 3,000 instructors. He is noted for his work during the Deepwater Horizon disaster, where he trained over 30,000 oil spill responders. Columbia Southern University recognized his achievements in the field of occupational safety and health by declaring him the 2022 Outstanding Safety Professional Runner-Up of the Year. He is the chairman of Veriforce's Strategic Advisory Board, is a member of the American Society of Safety Professionals, Columbia Southern University's Occupational Safety and Health Advisory Group, and a committee member of the American National Standards Institute, Accepted Practices for Hydrogen Sulfide Training Programs. 
Hey, James, thanks for being on TED Speaks today. We're really excited to uh, learn more about you and, and share some valuable information that you have to some of our uh, listeners. Thanks for having me. I'm extremely excited to be on your podcast. I've, I've seen and listened to several episodes, and, and you're very prominent there on LinkedIn. Thank you for what you do in hosting this labor of love, I'm sure, for you and Barb. <laughs> Uh, it, it's a pa- it's a passion, and, and we've been very blessed with it, but thank you. You know, can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of background about you, James? Sure, certainly. I am the chief executive officer of a kind of a boutique occupational safety and health firm out of the New Orleans, Louisiana metropolitan area. We are do some international work, but mainly from North Dakota to West Texas, and over on the East Coast around Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, primarily in the oil and gas industry, but in construction, maritime, manufacturing. We're sort of a full-service firm. We do everything just like most companies do. We do training. We do incident investigations, OSHA consultations, audits, write a tremendous amount of policies and procedures. (laughs) And one of the things I, I really like to highlight that really got me into safety is I'm a Verforce master trainer. And that comes from a, a legacy company called PEC Safety Management that, that merged in, with Verforce several years ago. So I'm still active in the field, teaching would-be safety professionals and safety instructors to go out there and make positive changes in their cultures to help bring workers home safe from high-hazard jobs. What, what's your favorite part about your role of what you do? James. My favorite part is being in the field with the guys. Yep. That's my favorite part. And 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 I don't get to do it as much as I used to. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but I love going out to the process and talking to the people that are encountering the hazards. Right. Finding out what works, what's not working. When I coach business executives, I say this all the time. If if you want to know where your next incident's going to be. Go talk to the people at the process, the men and women that go out there every day that make your company go, they will tell you where the hazards are and they will tell you where the opportunities for improvement are. So have good communication with your frontline people and they will support your safety initiatives. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That's one of my favorite parts, too, is being able to work with them. And you're, you're right. A lot of times I think uh, we forget about the people actually doing the work. A lot of times, if not all the time, have the answers. But we have to ask the right questions. Sometimes they don't even know they have the answer, right? And that's right. kind of part of our job of, of making that happen. You have often been quoted that there is no such thing as a safety culture. Can you kind of share your thoughts? Sure, that quote gets me in trouble a lot of times with some people. And, and I understand. But when we, when we talk about culture and we say a safety culture, that denotes that that's something separate from the other aspects of our business, that we have operational culture, we have an administrative culture, we have a supply chain culture, and then we have a safety culture, and that's not true. You have an, a company has a culture, and it's a total culture. It's not just a safety culture. So I like the aspects of culture, what our values are, what we believe in. But to say we have a safety culture really puts it in isolation. And what we're learning as we go through safety management systems and studies and looking at some of the research that's out there is that all of this is interconnected. All the way from the corner office with the CEO to how we 
manage purchasing, whether it's equipment or supplies, down to the folks that are in the field that are impacted the most. So we, companies don't have a safety culture. They have a culture. And management gets the culture it deserves. <laughs> I, I like the way that you put that. You know, um, to me, I've always been a big believer in production, quality, and safety all work together. Take out one of all them. Great. doesn't matter which one you take out. You're going to be unsuccessful, right? Quality, you, you're going to have rework. That's not going to make you successful. Production, obviously, if you don't get the job done in, in a fair amount of time, you aren't going to do anything. And safety, you have to replace people. You have to have those kind of things. Those are all taking you away. So I agree with you. All three of those have to work together for an organization to be successful. And, and to say that uh, safety is more important than another one, I, I, I argue with anybody, just like you would, James, on that because that's that's not realistic. And that's what the guys are looking at that we talked about in the field, right? Right. And when we say things like safety is number one, Mm. Well, well, well safety is not peeves. number one. I mean, our output is not safety. For for, for us, for Ted and Barb and, and, and us at Mariner Gulf Consulting and Services, safety is our product, right? right? We're selling safety, but businesses are producing goods and services that are not safety. But safety is an integral part of that. You show me a company that has a bad safety record, I will show you a company that's also suffering in production and quality. So they all three go together, just like you said, sort of like the legs of a stool. If we want it to sit firm, all three have to work together. And that's why I take issue with, you know, the safety culture concept. Let's just call it culture and bring everybody together. I, I am a big tent person. Everybody brings value. So let's include, include safety in a positive way in all aspects of the decision-making and operations of our organizations. And I think if we do that, we start seeing a reduction in the SIF rate, which I am passionate about. Yeah, I, I was actually very curious to hear what your answer was to the safety culture question. And I kind of thought that's the way you were going to go. And I just, I, I think that's so important because culture is important, but the total culture and working together to be successful. You don't you don't want to throw safety all alone because sometimes it's already looked at negatively. So I feel like that that's that's really a good way to look at it. You can really build your culture, company culture through safety. I, I think a lot of ways too. You know, and I, I've seen it and done it at companies too that where where the safety really gets everybody else going those other two aspects that we're talking about, quality and production too. Yeah, I like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. It's been my experience for many years that when you create a value system of what we believe in, employers are responsible for the safety of their, of their employees, number one. But they're also responsible for good production and good quality products. And it just all works together. Right. And, and coming with that interconnectivity kind of breaks down these silos that we have in these management systems. So the, the research bears it out. I think when we're looking at injury trends in the United States, particularly, we've done a good job at driving down OSHA recordable injuries. What we've not done a really good job is, is addressing the things that actually kill people at work. Correct. Cause that hasn't and really changed. Has it? That's not changed. So one of the aspects I think in, in changing and making sure that workers come home safe from high hazard jobs is to focus on this interconnectivity, how it all works together. 
And that begins by using language that people understand. Uh, I'm not a fire and brimstone you if you use the term safety culture. I'm not that kind of person, <laughs> right? It's okay. I'm not going to smack your hand. But you'll be but biting like down on your teeth, though, right? You'll be going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> safety culture again. But I do think whatever terminology we use, we need to understand it's really holistic. And it's not in a silo by itself that is not impactful with other aspects of our business. Kind of wanted to talk to you. You have a pretty diverse background in occupational safety and health, and there's a lot of safety practices out there, right, to choose from. Is there a particular one or theory that you kind of follow and go by? Boy, Barb, you were just going to get controversial, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I like that question, and, and I'm glad you asked it because as I've sort of evolved in my safety career, I started out like many in the behavior-based safety camp and and attitude affects behavior, affects consequences. And and I've sort of grown for that. And and there's the next, I guess, iteration was hop was a big one that came out and and Todd Conklin and uh, Sidney Decker did a lot of good research and some books on that. Dr. Reason and human error and, and really looking at the systems, Fred Manuel, you can tell I'm a nerd. I read a lot, right, <laughs> from some of these names that are out there. And we have a tremendous amount of different approaches to achieve the same goal. Mm-hmm. And and what I, what I found is people are very passionate in safety. They are adherents of one process or another. So you've got people in the behavior-based safety camp. You've got people in the hot camp. You've got people in the safer, safety differently camp. You got people in a system safety camp. And I'm like, let's get out of the camps. What what work? It just depends. It depends. And what does it depend on? That holistic culture that you have. What may work in one organization may not work in another. Very true. If behavior-based safety is working for you and people are not getting hurt. You're identifying hazards in the design phase of the work. Keep it. Right. If you're doing hop and hops working, keep it. Find what works for you and your organization. Because the goal is not to be a disciple of a theory. The goal is to get people home safe. And to their families, right? To their families. I would challenge all of us when it comes to, you know, to answer your question more more specifically, I'm a system safety guy, right? I believe in systems, but that doesn't mean I don't believe these other things can't work. Sure. So I would challenge us, let's, let's stop arguing about what the differences are. Let's find commonality and come together with a goal to bend this SIFT trend. Nobody comes to work to die. Nobody. Right. And unfortunately, we see it trending up. And I've done more fatality investigations in the last two years than I've done in my entire career. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Well, that's a good question. I think part of it is, I don't like to blame everything on the pandemic, but during the pandemic, a lot of experienced 
older workers chose not to come back to the workforce. Yeah. So you did not have that generational passing on lessons learned that you've had in previous generations. And now we have an influx of new workers and they're filling roles that historically they might not have filled. You know, my generation is the Gen X generation, right? And we're the smallest population between the, the baby boomers, the millennials and Gen Y and all that. We're, we're right there. The most ignored generation. <laughs> well, we're the first generation where birth control was, was commonly found right in society so the births did not keep track so there's not enough of us to fill those gaps so we're having younger more inexperienced workers being forced into roles that they may not be prepared for i think that is a huge contributing factor to the sif trend i also think we're still too worker focused on blame when it comes to instance and identifying hazards. I would agree with you. That That is completely true. You know, that's one of the first things people want to do, right? Absolutely. Something went wrong. We got to find somebody to blame. It's got to be the worker, right? I mean, because he's the one that got hurt or she, right? Okay. Absolutely. It's, it's that easy. And I, I agree with you 100%, James. That, that That's a, a, a strong point with me, too. Is It's like you said, it's the system, right? The whole system has to be looked at. Hazards, I'm going to quote Fred Manuel. Hazards are best controlled in the design phase of the work. And there's been a lot of work done on prevention through design. And a lot of times when we think about prevention through design, we think about it from an engineering standpoint. We're going to design out the hazard from some engineer who who anticipates it, and, and we just put that in, and that's great. But design can also be in the steps we use. And in our industry, particularly in the oil and gas industry and in construction, there's not enough emphasis on thinking about hazards when we're planning the work. We send an employee out into the field. That employee has to fill out a job safety analysis or a job hazard analysis. Well, if the employee can figure out what all the hazards are, what all the controls are, and being able to do all that, why would we need managers, supervisors, and safety professionals? Right. You know, they don't have the experience to think about that in the design of the work. So in the chemical industry, we would call that a process hazard analysis. I, I, I use that acronym PHA for a preliminary hazard now analysis. Before we go to work, what are the hazards What's the training we need? What are the controls we can put in place? So the workers don't have to do all that in the field. Yeah. Well, just listening to talk about the different safety practices and just recognizing that everyone has its own plus depending on the situation. I just think in in the real world, that's that's a hard concept for people to sometimes get that there's not one right answer. You know, it has to be this way. It works. You know, that to look at the broader picture of depending on the situation, it can be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's kind of more open-minded, I think, in a way. Well, and, and it's also, it can be as simple as the tools that we're supplying to the employee, right? I mean, Absolutely. sometimes sometimes we're going to supply the cheaper 
tool, maybe made somewhere else or something like that, or you know, just the simple things like that that really can affect that. And and that's a that's not an employee's issue or a worker's issue. That's again the systems. Well, we had I'll give you an example. It's a minor incident, resulted in an employee sustaining a cut that required some stitches in their hand. Well, they had gone out to the job. They didn't have the right tools. They tried to do the job with the tools that they could kind of assemble there right. on the yep. on on the job site. So, an investigation into that, a surface investigation, ninety six percent of the time in the studies we've done, we blame the worker and say that worker wasn't wearing gloves. But there was a systematic issue. We didn't properly identify what the hazards were. They didn't have the right tools. You know, they they felt rushed. And all that's a contributing factor. So if we're going to address this self trend, what we have to do is start thinking about hazards are best controlled when we're planning the work. Let's control them in the planning. Let's do our jobs. And safety is a very complex field. And, and I'm going to give a shout out to fellow safety professionals here because many people think all we do is check PPE. <laughs> I wish all I had to do was check people's PPE, man. Put on your hard hat, put on your safety glasses. But to be a a true practitioner takes a lot of work, a lot of knowledge, a lot of study, a lot of continuing education. We never arrive. There's always a better way to approach things. So keep learning. Don't become frustrated. It's hard being a safety professional. It's easy to get frustrated. It is. You kind of need to be a lifelong learner in the field, correct? And humble. Absolutely. And humble. (laughs) Which sometimes is harder than other times. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, great. In the past 15 years of your practice, James, uh, what is one thing that you have changed your mind about? Oh, a lot of things over the years. Training is a default corrective action. Yeah, you see that a lot, don't you? When I first... When I first got into safety, fortunately, I had really good mentors. Some of those Verforce master trainers back in the day took me under their wing and really taught me the foundations of safety. But just about every instant investigation I was associated with in the early days, the worker was at fault. The worker didn't follow procedure. The worker (laughs) made a mistake. And the default corrective action almost 100% of the time was retrain to work. Now, I'm a huge proponent of of training. But was it because the worker wasn't trained or was it these other influencers? So that's one thing that I've changed in my viewpoint is to try to put myself in the shoes of the frontline worker. I come from a blue-collar background, right? My family were blue-collar workers for generations. And I'm passionate about that because that's who gets hurt. That's who comes home with bad backs, debilitating injuries years later, black lung, trying to do a good job, trying to provide for their families. And so over the years, I've sort of changed my perspective from, man, if we could just fix this stupid worker to being (laughs) – Hey, that's our partner. That's our guy. You know, that's who's making the engine run. That's what makes America great. What tools can we find 
that enhance that safety at the process. And let's don't look focus always on the negative that the worker did something that in hindsight we all think was stupid, but at the time it made sense to them. That's been a philosophical change. Well, that's a um, you know that that is a very interesting change because it, it is very true. I think earlier in in, in safety evolution, if you want to call it right, another new word I just made up. But um, I like that word. <laughs> but you know, with safety, you know, in the seventies, kind of starting with OSHA, OSHA getting in there because of all that kind of stuff. And as we evolve as a culture and and everything else, we want to make sure that safety is a part of it, right? And I I think that those are some great points of. You know, hey, the easy thing to do is always blame the worker. That's the easiest. Right. But, hey, there's a whole area, a whole system that we need to look at, acknowledge, and understand before we can just uh, make that, that, that easy judgment and say, well, it's the worker's fault. Didn't, didn't wear the gloves. It said it on the JSA. They should have done that. I, I don't understand. You know, uh, looking at that more in depth. So I think you have definitely brought that out to our listeners. Yeah, and I think, too, just uh, two terms that you talked about was mentoring and training. And then we talk about how the last couple years, you know, the workforce has really changed. There's a lot of people leaving in in all areas of, you know, the workforce. And there's younger people coming in. And younger people have a lot to offer, but they have to be taught and trained. And I feel like, number one, we don't take the time because today's world is just so fast-paced. You know, it's just... It's crazy. And I feel like there's probably not as many mentors around because so many people left. So those two points in today's world have just really suffered and you have to make a real conscious effort to get back to that. Well, to follow up on what you just said, early in my professional career, I worked for Mercedes-Benz U.S. International, building the SUVs. The M-Class back then was, was one of the the first Mercedes-Benz SUV vehicles. And they're they're very process-oriented. And my experience at, at Mercedes has informed my safety philosophy. The CEO told me one time, he said, James, we got to make things about processes and not about people. And I was a little bit astounded when he said that. I'm like, we don't want to build on people. He said, no, we want the best people we can find. But if we don't have a good process, what happens when those people leave, when they retire, when they get a better job? So taking that philosophy to safety, what's easier to fix? The person, all these different individuals we have in our organization, or the system? And it's easier to fix the system. So always look for flaws in the system. Instead of saying, Why did this person do what they did, which none of us will ever be able to figure out? If People ask me, James, why did this person do what they did? I'm saying, I can't answer that. I can't even answer why you asked me that question. (laughs) If I knew the answer to that, I'd be on an island in flip-flops, you know, chilling. I don't know why people do what they do. Remove that from the equation and say, what in our system failed? Something in our system failed. And that covers the vast majority of acts. Now, criminal acts, terrorist acts, intentional acts, there's not a safety management system that's ever been invented that accounts for, I don't care. 
Okay. If somebody wants to go out there and just start opening valves, right? We can't fix that. That's just some psychological deficiency that they have. But in the context of normal work, nobody comes to work to make bad mistakes, to get themselves injured, potentially killed, or hurt their coworkers. But they do have failures in systems where we forget to open a valve. We forget to control, to, to control a particular hazard. And it leads to spills, fires, you know, explosions in some cases that, that are really, really dangerous and impact worker health and safety in the immediate and long term. So think about hazards at a higher level and building a system that has resiliency. You know, we had an incident in North Dakota here a couple of weeks ago where someone did not close a valve and it led to an explosion. In a properly designed system, a person not closing a single valve should not result in disaster. So we got to control hazards in the design of the work. And that'd be an engineering solution, right? So engineers working together with safety professionals, with production experts and frontline leaders can develop a system that is dynamic and resilient. I feel like you've given our listeners a lot of good takeaways and thoughts. You have a very good way of presenting and explaining things and making people understand understand, and think a little bit, Absolutely. right? Think about these things that need to be looked at differently. Well, thank you. I can't take credit for that. I had a good grandmother, uh -huh. a mother, who coached <laughs> me all the time about doing the right thing. And uh, when I got into safety, I was very fortunate because I didn't, I, I didn't start my career in safety. I started my career as an executive in the oil and gas industry, and I found safety through our consulting company. You know, I was doing business consulting and uh, helping small businesses uh, get their accounts receivable right and, you know, financing and payables and leadership training. And these smaller companies, about 50 to, to 100 employees, kept asking about safety. Could we add safety? And, you know, could we fix their IS Networld account? I didn't even know what that was yeah. back then. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're thrust into safety. And I'm like, I can learn to do that. And here we are today. Wow, what, what a great story. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. But as you know, I'm the positive safety coach. And now it's time for us to have a little humor, which we believe is important in safety, to, to have fun, be passionate about, right? So the question is, are you ready right. for our, our, our jokes that we have? Yes. The first one's kind of tailored to you. Exactly so. tailored to you. How, how long does it take to get from Louisiana to Alabama? I don't know. At least 18 national championships has got to be. <laughs> oh, 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 I'd have to say one Mississippi. Oh, <laughs> oh. that was good. That was good. Hey, you know, we don't, Barb, I don't think we've ever heard that before on the I show. That, that was that, a good that we joke. Had a good show. <laughs> that, Thank you, James. That was a good one. I don't know if this one will top it. It's a little more simpler, but what did one plate whisper to the other plate? You got me. Dinner's on me. <laughs> <laughs>
That's bad, boy. That's bad. I gave Ted, I gave Ted the good one. Hey, I'm James, a nice I, want, wife. I want to thank you for being on the podcast again. If somebody yes. wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? What would be the best way to reach you? Probably the best way is through LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn account, James Junkin. Common spelling, James, J-U-N-K-I-N is the last name, uh, or at our website at marinergulf.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you, and have a super safe day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TED Speaks with Ted Carew, owner of Total Health and Safety Solutions, providing health and safety support to businesses by customizing a safety process to fit their needs, big or small. Please connect at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com or visit our website, healthandsafetynow.com to share your safety stories or find out more about how we can work together to ensure your people go home safely and turn an expense into a profit center. Follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Have a super safe week. 